Hey everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about Sweep in Peace, the second book in the Innkeeper's Chronicle by Ilona Andrews. So let's broom out the magic of books. So again, these are very fun, very fast, small books that are easily devourable in one night, which may or may not have happened when I was reading this book because it just kept the just the intensity kept ramping up within this book. Now, was it the most intense book I've ever read? No. But was it a good book? Yes. So some of the things I really liked, the humor was just great. There are spots where it was very kind of a dry humor and other parts where it's just that little sassy humor. It was so good. This book had a lot of feelings in it. If we get into the the spoiler part, what you'll understand why, but there are a lot of very powerful feelings of you know, grief in this book, and that is something that I thought she did very well, and the way she was able to share that and write that on the page. It was very realistic and very good. Again, the writing was was good. It was published originally again as you know a chapter to the website and then later compiled and published into a book. The pictures in this book did not do it as much for me as in the first book and there were fewer pictures so it wasn't a big issue. It didn't like throw me out of the story um, but it could have been just a little bit better pictures or no pictures and I think that would have suited the book just fine. Maybe on the web Side, side of things, they keep the pictures there because that makes it look better, but that's fine. Again, I love that the romance, while this is an urban fantasy and romance, tends to kind of explode in these books, series, in these types of books in the urban fantasy. I love that the romance wasn't just like, it's a new book, she's got new boyfriend, and she wants, you know, now she has a new decision, two or one, and... You just kept it very simple and very slow and very light, kind of like how a regular relationship would would flutter. In the last book, and if you are listening to this and you haven't read the last book or this book, that's fine. Just be prepared for a very small spoiler about the last book. In the last book, she had a, a start of a relationship, a very small start to a relationship with, with Sean Evans. And... In this book, it doesn't immediately like, oh, he's back, and they are super into each other, and they're going to progress at the speed of light. No, it was more of a, yeah, they. she thinks about him sometimes, and she wonders how he is, and she wonders what could have happened, and you know, she keeps thinking about him when she doesn't want to, those kind of things, and that really made it feel more like a real romance to me, rather than like a contrived romance for the sake of the urban fantasy plot, so I think... That's going to be everything I have to talk about in the non-spoiler section. And so we are going to broom on over into the spoiler section. So just to ignore those puns. Let's see. Our The story of this time is that the inn has been empty again. And it's been about six months. She's had very few visitors. Dina has. And they're looking for the next thing when they are visited by George, an arbiter who wants to use their use her in as a meeting ground for a peace treaty. And so she's like, oh, this is going to be tough. These people hate each other. And it is it's basically the vampires, the Otrokari, and the merchants. And so the vampires and the Otrokari, of course, are, you know, just 
big monsters that fight each other because they can and they are very angry. And then the merchants are just trying to make a profit, not on the war, but on the mineral that's mined on Nexus that can be used for some very nice things that make a lot of money. So George is the arbiter. He says, you know, let me use your in. She says, okay. Then she has to work through and get all this stuff done to prepare for it. And that was part of, I really enjoyed seeing this, like her power and her scope and her influence inside her in. Again, we saw it in the last book, but this book, you know, we really see her ability and her power. So let's just start with some of the characters. She gets a new chef who was a disgraced chef because he let somebody get poisoned at one of his events that, or like one of his dinners that he was putting on because he didn't taste the dish. And that's it was so funny when she is meeting with this chef that she's learned about who's been disgraced. Um, she's talking to him and learning, you know, kind of why he was disgraced and what actually happened. And you know, he didn't poison anybody, but he let a dish go untest, untest, untasted, excuse me. Let a dish go untasted out of his kitchen, and because of that, he is so disgraced and ashamed and refuses to, like, cook for other people. Well, he can't because he lost his certification and no one wants him to. But, you know, he did let the guy get poisoned, but he didn't know that that was going to happen. So it was very funny. Uh, the chef is named Oro, and he's a quillian. Big guy, lots of quills on his back, hence quillian. Very simple name. And I love the chef. He's... He gets to the kitchen the first time, and he's like, hmm, okay, I can work with this. And he's like, where's the pantry? And she points to, like, a broom closet that's, like, you know, just really tiny. And he's like, hmm, I don't think that's going to work. And she's just like, open it up. And he opens it up, and, of course, due to the physics changing of the inn, you know, it's a huge pantry. And he's like, okay, that'll work. And he's like, do you have do you have a gastronomic coagulator? No. Do you have this? No. Do you have this? No. And he's like, well, what do you have? Well, we got pots, pans, griddles, stoves, ovens. And he's like, ah, like a primitive kitchen. Great. This will be awesome. This will be a challenge. And so his character is just so funny. And the way she played him, it was really good. There was one scene where there's a fight that kind of starts erupting in the middle of dinner. And you know, he feels really depressed about it. Like nobody would eat his food because they're too busy trying to fight and you know, what's his point if he can't make food that people are going to enjoy? And, you know, sometimes I felt like that. Like, why do I do what I do sometimes if nobody's going to appreciate it or enjoy it even or, like, do anything? And I just, you know, it was a good lesson that she talked to him about, and I like that. Let's move to Caldinia. Caldinia, her grace Caldinia was excellent again. You know, we know for a fact that she's a cannibal. She's got the sharp teeth. She talks about eating people. She literally says in the book, hey, if any of them die, see if you can store one of the bodies because I haven't had that. I haven't eaten that that uh, type of body yet, and I want to see what it tastes like. Uh, so funny. You know, she protects Dina, but really she's just protecting herself because if the inn dies, then she loses her protection and then she will die because she has so many bounties on her head. It was so... She just was an excellent character in this book. Again... Very aware, very smart, knows every knows what's going on. Well, back to the cook. I love that there's a galactic cooking board, you know, because of course there would be. And the rare tier ratings go from like red cleaver down to gray cleaver. So just a little interesting point of world building that I thought was 
quite a lot of fun. So let's talk about George the Arbiter. He this is his first time arbitration mission, which we learn about halfway through. You know, he is the smartest person in the room and he knows it and he manipulates everybody and everything to do what he wants to make sure that this peace treaty goes down. Now, he does make one mistake. He kills Dina's apple trees. And after he kills Dina's apple trees, suddenly all the water in his rooms go ice cold. <laughs> and he can't shower, he can't shave, the water sprays in his face. And she's basically like, next time, don't kill my apple trees. It was just so funny watching him get uh, schooled. Not schooled by her, but uh, kind of punished by her when he's been pulling all the strings, making it seem like the peace treaty's going off the rails or they're going on the rails. Of course, we've got to talk about the vampires. The vampires are back again. Arland is here again. He is still pursuing Dina, but both we and Dina know that he is just looking for the satisfaction of claiming slash hunting her successfully, that the relationship would never work out, and Dina doesn't really even consider it, which I appreciated that she wasn't drawn into the, oh, which do I choose, this one or that one? They're both so equally perfect. Like, no, one is a predator and wants to kill you. The other just happens to be a werewolf, but he's actually a pretty good guy. He doesn't want to kill you, and you know you could actually like trust him. But a vampire... He's a vampire. You couldn't really trust him. So, you know, the vampires are tired of the war as well. Lots of people have died there on this Nexus planet that they keep fighting on. And they're here. Uh, I loved the vampires. They come in the front instead of the back. And, of course, the police chief is the police officer's there and he tries to stop them. And they're like, nope, we're not going to get stopped. And they, they slice his car up. And then she brings him in and she you know, punishes them, and then they have to fix his car. And they're like, I have to fix his car? Like, the the vampire, which was, his name was Hardware, And of course, Hardware, Hardware. That one wasn't as good as the uh, other one I'll talk about with the merchants that we already met. But he's like, this is an internal combustion engine. It's a crime against nature. Basically, it has to pollute the world to do anything. Like, it's toxic. I refuse to work on it. And Blah, blah, blah. Then he goes and fixes it up. And they're like, you didn't make any altercations to it, did you? No, never. I wouldn't do that. Turns out at the very end he did. He made it a lot, lot more fuel efficient. So just pretty funny. Uh, awesome. They also, uh, during the peace talks, of course, because the peace talks get boring and slow, She uh, Dina has to go and find them some entertainment. So she goes and buys an Xbox for the end to assimilate and give out to them to play. And then she introduces them to Call of Duty and, you know, stakes it on their honor. You know, oh, only the best clan can win at this game. And it's a cooperative team fight, you know. And so all the houses are fighting against each other in Call of Duty. And it was just funny. You know, she staked their honor on it. Of course, they're going to get really into it. Now, the new species that we have in this book is the Otrokari. They are big, warlike people. The hope-crushing horde is how they're often referred to. And they... They kind of their special thing is evolution. So when they are in their teens or their adolescent kind of phase, when they if they like lift a lot of weights, then their body will bulk them up super fast. If they focus on dexterity, it'll make them super limber and you know dexterous. So 
whatever they kind of focus on in their adolescence kind of influences how they're going to be in the in the future. They, I was really glad there was no love interest among the Ochokari. That would have been not good for me, but there wasn't. So they are all about you know expanding and having room for their families and. To keep them entertained, she introduces to them football and calls it a land-based acquisition war game. Or an acquisition-based land war game. And it was it's like so funny. That's just it's football, you know, you play, have fun, but that was that was that. It was quite good. And our last group are the merchants. Now the merchants we had met before with uh Nuancy, which of course I kind of figured this out right after I Finished recording about the last one, but nuance or you know nuance, that's a good one. That was funny. I liked it. They had I like that it. We got the mercenaries. They were familiar, or the mercenaries, the merchants. They were familiar, but we still didn't know very much about them. And so by bringing them into this, we're able to flesh out the merchants and really see and understand them better as a whole. We see their customs, we see their family, how they interact with each other, what their plans are. So I thought. That was very nice. Nicely done. It was very fun to listen to. The whole time, everybody's like, oh, we can't fight the merchants. You know, they've got Turanadin and, you know, this legendary warrior who never stops and never fights. You know, just like, oh, what? Okay, interesting. I wonder who that could be. And it turns out later that Turanadin is a replaceable mercenary. So you hire one guy, he lives as Turanadin for a couple of days to a week. Then you hire the next guy, and he lives for a week. Then the next guy, a month. The next guy, a day. Just they uh, replace it, but the armor keeps him looking the same. So he's kind of built up this legend and this perseverance to himself. And he does good. So it was quite fun to to listen to them and to see how they all interact. Of course, it wouldn't be a, you know an urban fantasy without a little bit of conflict. And Dina does almost die. She is poisoned accidentally. And, of course, it was so funny. Oro, the chef's like, oh, no, not again. Somebody's been poisoned, you know, where I'm serving food. Uh, of course, she doesn't die. But that's because Turanadin is Sean. Of course, I kind of was like, no way. It's not going to be Sean, is it? And then it was. And he, you know, agrees to work as the replaceable mercenary forever to save her. They are For the merchants to save her, they save her. And at this point, it's looking like the peace treaty themselves are not going to be a, to be accorded. The peace talks are all in shambles. Everybody's getting ready to leave. And so as a last-ditch effort, Dina you know, uses the power of the inn and kind of forces everybody to share their memories with each other of their most traumatic events, You know, mainly being the war and the loss that every side is feeling. And that loss was... You know, palpable, even though we're just reading it on a page and we're not there. You could feel the mothers of loss for their daughter, their children, the, you know, husbands for their wives or girlfriends and such like that. And it was very impressive. And then, you know, right after that, she, of course, they, of course, hammer out the peace talks and they nail down the negotiations. And, oh, the merchants, I forgot to talk about there. The merchants are super, super family based. And so the reason that the merchants are so involved in, this Nexus planet is because it is where the exiles or the castoffs of the merchant clan have been put, and Nuancy is working on getting them like actual status within the clan so they can know all of their family. That was a very touching moment too, just like him 
you know, saying like, I don't know half my family and my kids will never know half their family, but this is a chance to stop that and to make everybody whole again. It was very nice, very like, wow, that's a good thing, you know, hidden inside all these things. And it was quite fun. And then, you know, everybody leaves. Uh, we did not get, oh, this was funny at the end. She's uh, getting Oro. She gives him his, pay- his paycheck and she's like, here you go. Here's all the money I could scrape up for you. And here's some recommendations. So you should be able to like go back out and cook. And he's like, mm-hmm, yes, here's here's my list of ingredients and groceries for the week. You know, for this, I need, can't create breakfast out of thin air. Go buy this stuff for me right now. And she's like, but I can't pay you. And he's like, I don't care. I'm not leaving. You can't cook. If I left, you'd go back to your prehistoric banging on rocks. And this kitchen would suffer and I won't have it. And he slams the door and walks off. And Caldini is there and she says, oh, thank goodness. I was afraid I was going to have to go back to your cooking after this. And it just was so funny. It made me laugh out loud at the end of the book, you know. And then uh, that was it, you know. Then... At the very end, Sean shows up and takes her on a date. I loved the slow progression. I loved the story in general. Very fun. Would definitely recommend. And we learn that Claus, her brother, is in the Arbiter looking for her parents still. And so hopefully we'll get a little bit more of that in the next book. This is going to wrap up my discussion of Sweep in Peace by Alone Andrews. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. Of course, if you ever have any questions or comments you want to get to me, reach you know, that you want me to read or listen to, you can send those to libromancypod at gmail.com. I'm putting up a calendar on the website at libromancy.podbean.com, showing what books are coming up next. Of course, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And remember to broom out the magic of books. <laughs> <laughs>